Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Reading Materials Podcast. My name is Lucia, and I'm joined by my two friends, Maria and Jess, and we are big fans of A Court of Thrones and Roses by Sarah J. Maas. Today's episode might be a little bit all over the place because it's the first time that we are kind of semi-recording in person together. So Jess and I are in the same room, and unfortunately, Maria is all the way back in Ireland. But, you know, at some point, I think we'll swap Maria, and you and I will record mm-hmm. together, and then Jess can be by herself here. She can be the loner. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in any case, this is the final episode of our run-through of book three of the series, which is A Court of Wings and Ruin. The spoilers today are for up to the end of book three, and obviously books one and two as well. So, basically, the whole trilogy. Yep. So, for anyone who hasn't been keeping up with us. Jess, do you want to give a brief summary of the book so yeah. far? Yeah, so I, actually it's brief, but we've read like two-thirds of the book. So, okay, Fair starts by destroying the spring court from the inside. She kills two Highburn gen- generals and, you know, sows the seeds of mistrust and such. She goes back to the night court, mission accomplished. She takes Lucian. There's an attack in the summer court by Highburn. Then they become friends, basically. The the action of the blood to rubies has therefore been decided upon. There's a lot of drama, a lot of political drama, personal issues, all sorts of things. Um, ultimately, they kind of make a bit of a shaky alliance. They start getting pretty desperate in the war. They're actively at war at this point. Fair makes bargains with some creepy monsters, which is pretty cool. We discover Elaine is a seer, um, a seer, a gift from the cauldron, because it likes her so much. And yeah, Highburn is here. It's it's all happening. It is all happening, yeah. So we leave off, or we left off last week with the tragic death of one of our favorite characters, and that was Desuriel. And Helion has found Feyre weeping over Desuriel's body, and sh- he takes her back to the war camp. And we get an altercation between... Feyre and Moore, because Feyre didn't tell anyone where she was going, and so Moore is really upset about this. And yeah, did you guys like that? Like, do you think Moore was justified in her behavior towards Feyre? I kind of get it. Like, she kind of she feels res- she feels responsible for Feyre because she's not so trained. She's new here. Moore was supposed to be the experienced person to guide and protect her in what's going on. And she kind of did go about it in a bit of a shady way, let's say. It was definitely a bit of a sneaky way. Mm-hmm. Maria, would you agree? Yeah, no, she was definitely being kind of manipulative by encouraging an opportunity where she could slip away. But also, Farah technically has the rank there, not more, so... Not the brain power. Yeah, oh, definitely not, no, yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of, yeah, I, I, it was a bit, also like Farah has a lot of power that Moore doesn't have. So maybe she didn't need to be quite so annoyed that she like kind of ran away from her babysitter. Moore does have a great secret power. Does she? Like she has a really powerful secret power. Everyone's always saying she's so powerful and we never see her do anything cool. Yes, this is oh. true. <clears throat> She doesn't lie. Like, she tells the truth. It's Isn't so that the vague. most powerful like, thing? 
But that's kind of, you know, you, you sit... Because yes. the king of Hybern is impressed by her power, and we never find out what it is. Yes, this is true. We haven't found out yet. A lot of people do call her the truth sayer, or like, you know, my power is to speak the truth. And yet the basis of the argument that Feyre and Mor are having is that <laughs> Feyre is basically calling Mor a big fat liar because she's been living a lie her whole life, referring to the fact that she hasn't told Asriel how she really feels about him. And they've just been in this weird romance triangle that we talked about in the last episode between her, Asriel, and Cassian. Moore gets really offended by this because, you know, she doesn't like to be told that she's <laughs> in the wrong. And we get the scene where Nesta is supposed to scry to find the cauldron. So this is, was one of the messages that Suriel told Feyre that Amran needs to look in a specific part of the book to find out how to break the cauldron. And Nesta is supposed to find the army by doing some kind of like location spell. So we get the scene where she scries and she kind of like... <laughs> she has like an out-of-body religious experience somehow. <laughs> kind of, yeah. She She unlocks something within the cauldron and now the cauldron can track them back. Feyre dreams of the cauldron, and when she wakes up, she feels like there's some kind of a spooky presence in the war camp. And we find out that Elaine has been kidnapped by Highburn. She's been led away by the powers of the cauldron. So her and Asriel decide to go and save Elaine. And I think this is one of the first talking points that we have, which is... Classic Elaine develops an individual storyline as a damsel in distress. Maria, would you like to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, because it is just classic Elaine. Like, I mean, if she doesn't have, like, any flowers to look after, then this is her, like, second yeah. thing to do. Mm -hmm. The first, like, okay, she, she's been a bit of a supporting character. But, like, yeah, this is the first time that Elaine is making a bold move. And that is that she got tricked by an inanimate object and is now running to the enemy. Mm -hmm. So, like, I guess just why why does she have to be such an inconvenience? You know, like, why couldn't she just not? But, you know, like, for a seer as well, to walk straight into the arms of the enemy. But that was my thinking. What about you guys? I completely agree, but I never had that thought on my own. I do agree with both of you that it is a little bit mm, annoying that the only thing we get from her is the fact that she needs to be saved by someone. Although, you know, maybe we shouldn't be judging her so harshly about falling for the tricks of Hybern, considering that in book one, Feyre literally believed that her father, who couldn't walk and had never given a damn and had never helped her with anything, had crossed the wall to try and save her from the spring court because of some, what was it? What was that creature that could, like, shapeshift? Puka. The Puka, yeah, yeah. So if she, if Feyre can fall for the Puka, why can Elaine not fall for the Highburn spells? Because Feyre was a human, and Elaine is literally a fairy that should be able to see the future. But she doesn't want to see anything. Maybe she wasn't, you know, in her right mind. Maybe it was a form of... Oh, she probably wasn't. No, it's just so classic that, like... Nesta, nah, not a chance to get in her. And like Amran and Farah, they can all, they all know something's up, but like, who would it get? Oh, it got Elaine. Mm. She's fragile and 
yeah vulnerable weak always yeah so Jess do you want to tell us about how they go about saving okay I love this part this is such a great start to this section of the book I think I love that, okay, there's a bit of general panic, obviously, that Elian gets taken. But then Azrael straight up is like, I am going in. Even though he kind of already has an idea of what kind of a, a terrible place it's going to be. And then Farrah's like, yeah, me too. And then she g- gains a lot of respect, even though it's her own sister. And she like, you know, she goes, oh, bring this to the blacksmith to make the thing for her Ion's costume. Which I admit is a really good idea, but it just all of a sudden became a very superhero movie. <laughs> And then, yeah, in the in the camp when they arrive, I really like that Jurian really helps them. Like, he's helped them before, but they never trusted him. But now she has to trust him. And he kind of helps her do the right thing and help this girl escape. And then, obviously, we finish with Tamlin's somewhat redemption arc, as Lucia said. He helps her get away, and then he himself flees from Highburn. Mm. I agree. It's really epic. I liked the <clears throat> idea that Feyre could shapeshift into Ianthi, and that's how she got in. It kind of made sense to me. But if Jurian could see through it, it must have been Yeah, really that's, that's the thing that I didn't really understand. How did Jurian figure out almost immediately that it wasn't Ianthi, that it was in fact Feyre? He's a master of observation, that's why. Yeah, maybe he's like a mentalist. Maybe that's how he's surviving. He has been alive for 500 years, so he probably has excellent mental capacities. Yeah, sure, but like nobody else figured it out. Like the King of Hybern didn't figure it out. Like he couldn't feel some kind of disturbance in the force or yes, whatever. He's notoriously dumb. Mm, maybe. <laughs> like he doesn't even know the words in his own castle have been broken. So. Yeah. But That's very true. He likes to yeah. swagger, but it's all it is. Mm. Maybe Jurian really liked her like diadem thing and he knew it wasn't the perfect match. Maybe he was an art collector in his previous life before the war. Yeah, exactly. The most interesting people get conscripted in these scenarios. Like, you just never know. Mm. So, Maria, did you like this this section of the book? Yeah, I really liked it. Because, again, like it kind of felt like reminiscent of the challenges in the first book. You know, like, it's obviously going to be a short enough stint that it happens for and it's either going to be a big success or a big failure. So I liked the uh, the like sneak 100 that they had to use and that Azrael was like, don't mind me, I'll just step into the shadows and no one will see me. Did you feel like he was very immediate? He was like, I am there. Like like nobody, everyone else was really afraid and he was like, I'm going to get a lane. Like it's my lane. Mm-hmm. My Elaine. I just, huh, I don't. He was like, no way they keep an Elaine. I, I just kind of, I pictured them as being like, um, like friends, you know. So oh, the whole, like, I pictured them. You're not feeling the romance, Maria. No, I'm not. I, I'm not. No, no, no. But yeah, I think they're like just the two gentle souls of the group. That's why I want them to be together because they're two gentle souls. Yeah, but yeah, I did like that he was the one to jump straight in for it. To be fair, like if I had to pick anyone, I'd probably pick him anyways, because like it's a sneak 100 mission and he's a sneak 100 guy. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I liked, I liked that he volunteered, but I, I liked it more ness- that he volunteered out of liking her as a person rather than out of a romantic interest. Or mm-hmm. out of devotion to fair. He liked her just because she was alien. Yeah. Yeah, I like that about them. Yeah, that's fair. 
How did you feel about this glimpse into Azrael's powers? Because up to this point, we only know that he's referred to as the shadow singer or like the shadow whisperer, but we're not really told what that means. I always took that to mean that he can kind of like control shadows and maybe communicate with them, but not that he himself can become shadow because that's kind of what happens, right? They sneak into the camp. Farah is Ianthi and Azriel just kind of becomes shadows. I always thought it was like a 3D thing that he could manipulate around him. That was like shadow, but it became like 3D within the world, not 2D lying on a plane. And therefore he could blend in anywhere. Because it just looked natural. But wouldn't people notice like a 3D shadow just walking around? Not if it's already dark. It is, it is true. That's true. Yeah, I know you're right because he because is. Because he couldn't do it in the morning. Yeah, he is day. all about we need to leave before the sun comes out. Otherwise, yeah. the gig is up. Otherwise, our wings will melt. <laughs> yeah. What um, do you think, Maria? Did you yeah, like this? I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, like you made the point earlier of people keep talking about how big Moore's power is and, you know, how big um, Amran's power is and everybody's. And then. Azriel's kind of remains undefined and it's it's made to seem like a useful talent but not necessarily you know like a yeah yeah it's rare but they're not like oh my god this will blow you out of the water and then we're like well he can like find out things even when he's not anywhere near what's happening he knows if he's being watched and he can disappear (laughs) and this hasn't been made a big deal of he also has a vast network of spies yeah, so apparently yeah, exactly. Can be so, trusted with utmost secrecy. How mm-hmm. does that work? So I'm wondering, like, like what else they can do? Like, I'm probably mixing up because there was like a similar kind of someone who could interact with shadows in a previous book, and I'm just wondering if like he can actually make the shadows do stuff as well. Like, as if they can, if they can hide him and they can talk to him, like, can they manifest physically as well? But I mean, obviously, we don't know that. But yeah, it's interesting that there's more to Azrael's story than we've been told. Mm. yeah i would love to know more personally yeah because it occurs to me now if he can become shadow how is it possible to ever keep him imprisoned because wasn't he kept prisoner as a when he was was really young when he by his own father he developed this talent so he didn't have it from birth it just kind of i don't think i think we don't know we don't don't know know that we can't talk okay fair enough so we get Tamlin helping them escape and there's a lot of talk in the fan community about you know does this redeem Tamlin or does he need further redemption past this book obviously the one big thing that Tamlin does here is he helps them escape he basically fights off all the creepy crawly monsters that are in the camp and then at the end of the book we'll get to it but he does another really big thing for Feyre and Reese. So in your eyes, would you say that Tamlin is now redeemed or does he still need to redeem himself in some way? And if he still does, what do you think is necessary for us to forgive him? That's a very big question, I know, but... I think after this book, I don't want to know about Tamlin. I'm done. He's he's out of my sphere of interest. Mm-hmm. Maria, would you agree? After this book... If a scenario popped up with three options where one is help Tamlin, the other is like, you know, screw him over. And the third one is just do nothing. I'd go for the do nothing. Like, you know, we're not actively against him 
after these actions. So they they count towards something, but they're not really good. He's he's pretty hard to redeem. He'd have to have spent as much time being a good person and more as he spent being a bad person before you could consider forgiving him. And he'd have to be sorry, which he doesn't really seem to be, you know, helping someone out and actually atoning for what you've done wrong or different. Right. But okay, we'll we'll probably still talk about Tamlin in the next book because, you know, spoiler alert, he's not going away. He'll be back. But yeah, okay. Fair. I I don't know how I feel at this point about Tamlin. Like I think I'm kind of like Jess and you like at this point he's not my main interest anymore. I simply don't. Care. So I don't mind him coming up again because he was such a central character in the first one and a half books, let's say, but he's not my priority past this book, I think. I'm glad that he got some redemption near the end because I really didn't like that he became so horrible and, you know, petty during the the High Lords meeting. So Feyre and Asriel and Elaine managed to escape and they're back at the camp. And now I'm going to read through my little chapter summaries because I can't actually remember what happens next. Oh, yes. The big M that I put here. Can anyone guess what I want to talk about when I have the letter M in our notes? Miriam. No, more. Guys, oh, how no, do you not so... want to talk about more and her big revelation? I thought it was oh. weirdly timed, I have to say. Exactly. Like, I feel this needs to be discussed All because right. I... Okay. I feel quite passionately about this. So they get back to the camp. Azriel has been... Uh, wounded, like he has scratches all down his back and his wings are slightly shredded so he could barely fly. And Moore decides that now is the time that she's going to tell Feyre her big secret, which is that the reason that she doesn't love Asriel and could never love Asriel is because she, in fact, prefers females. And nobody knows this about her because apparently this is not accepted in the night court, even though just a few chapters ago, we had the High Lord of, where is he from? The Dawn, the Dawn Court? I think it's Dawn. Yeah, Thesen, Thesen. He has a male lover, possibly also his mate. We had the story of one of Miriam's friends who is also... Yeah. Has a female lover. So why is this? Okay, I assumed that, well, I just assumed it was because Morris families are kind of assholes, you know. They're they're pretty much dicks, so of course she would be harassed for this decision, but I assumed Thaisan just came from somewhere where people were a bit more chill. Okay, but... Like, yeah, no problem. Sure, but why doesn't she tell the non- dicks in her circle i.e. Reese, Asriel and Cassian and Amran like they are family well, you know quote unquote family and, you know maybe she wants to tell a female friend yeah but like so you'll tell Feyre who you've known for a handful of months maybe but you can't tell your you know, best friends that you've known for over 500 years it's also a bit of an olive branch isn't it I don't know it's a pretty extensive olive branch I will say but I agree it doesn't really fit where it's been placed, but it doesn't really make me, it doesn't bother me quite so much. Okay. Maria, thoughts? I do think it's odd 
that nobody else knows. Because if she wanted something to keep Azriel at arm's length, it was probably easier to tell him this than to just start like and having she things have, with like, people. And spies following her anyway. Yeah, like I genuinely don't understand how she's managed to keep this a secret. Like she's going to Rita's, where which is apparently the equivalent of you know a queer bar in Valeris. Nobody knows this about Rita's. She is the she's the only patron. <laughs> None of the other citizens have seen no, her very, there. Or it's a haven for people. Like yeah, her, exactly. But like, and they go. With is her Rita's, to Rita's not like um, just owned by someone who's who's like more? So it's kind of like a uh, haven, though. It's an underground scene of like you know like there's other there's straight people going there as well. So she could be getting in with like it's plausible that she could disguise that and i guess maybe her great power is evading azriel's shadows that could be the great power we haven't heard about it's plausible that maybe azriel knows but thinks that she's like bi which i guess she is but i just think it's weird that she hasn't told even Riss. like if she told him just because obviously he wouldn't like care so yeah i get why it's not public knowledge because with the little information her parents do have about her they managed to torture her and she doesn't like them having any information about her life so she doesn't want to give them more ammunition because obviously some part of her still cares about what they think clearly if she's so worked up after every interaction with them but yeah i think it's it's and also, yeah, the weird timing of it all. So that like at least one person will know if she doesn't survive the upcoming war or something. I, I don't really understand why. Amran actually mentions this. Amran knows. Does she? She says to Fair, after they've had the argument, be careful of how far you push her because there are some truths even she herself cannot face. Fair's like, yeah, okay, I better go apologize. But then she has to go. But I thought that was reference to the fact that she can't come to terms with the fact that Azriel loves her. Because in her own words, when Azriel, you know, hundreds of years ago was about to confess his feelings for her after she had been attacked by her parents when she slept with Cassian, she just up and ran away. Like even that to me is like, what are you doing? Why are you treating Azriel this way? She consciously sleeps with other men you know, that's pretty, pretty bad. In, uh, you know, we, I know we talked about this last week and I'm sorry to keep harping on about it, but I just feel like she is not, in my mind, a good person. Like she is leading everyone on. She's lying to people, hurting people. And I just don't think it's okay. You think Moore's a homewrecker? I don't, no, I don't think she's a homewrecker. <laughs> But, like, I just don't think it's okay. And everyone just sees her as this, you know, this bubbly, wonderful person. And everyone in the night court is like, oh, everyone in the inner circle is just the best of the best. And, like, Reese even says, like, you know, the kindness that Moore shows people. Like, what kindness? Like, she's just being horrible to everyone. Okay, but Amran's also horrible to everyone. And everyone has a personality that they have in the night court. And she had to have that personality as her whole personality for, like, however, 18 years or something. I can't. I'm sorry. I have very little patience for more, and it's only going to get worse from here when okay, we goodness. when we talk about her in the next books. But I'll I'll leave, I'll just leave it there. I will also say a lot of people complain about how Sarah J. Mass decided that this is the way that she's going to write in diversity into her books, 
because a lot of people complain that it's all very white and it's all very heterosexual. And so she decided, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to actually make her a lesbian. I'm going to make her a closeted bisexual who still mostly sleeps with men on the page. I don't know. But yeah, it's just, you know, I read, reading other people's thoughts online. I think they bring up a good point. Anyway, yeah, that's all I have to say about more. We can <laughs> come back to her in a later episode, but that's fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll calm down. I'm sorry. That was all I had. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm getting really worked up about this. I'm sorry. Would you like some water? <laughs> no, <Okay>. I'm fine. <laughs> Just an offering. So then what happens? The Hybron's army is on the move and it seems like Hybron has just kind of been tricking them all along and his big plan is to just go straight through the human lands. So Amron comes in saying that she's come up with a way to get rid of the cauldron's power and she needs to go to the cauldron with Farah, Nesta and Elaine because all four of them have been made. Farah decides that they need to go to the human lands and winnow all the humans out and take them to the summer court so that the king of Hybron can't kill anyone. Can I say an exhaustive amount of time was spent on this part? Mm-hmm. I thought it was really like, yeah, it was really important to mention, great work team, but they spent so long talking about how exhausting it was. And you're like, okay, obviously, but I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. But I certainly was like, wow, a lot of time here. Yeah, I don't know why they have to move them to the summer court. Why couldn't they just be like, you guys head south and get on some boats? Because the Hybern army are traveling kind of on foot as well. So what if you don't have a boat? Yeah, like what boats would they get on? The humans have boats. But not everybody has a boat. Okay, but then... Right, bear with. Um, you winnow a big boat to them, and then you only have to go like three or four times and rather than like and there's 50 only one or six. could win a big boat. Yeah. Who? It's obviously race. You'd have to be really strong to win a boat. Or more. She could finally do something useful, you know? Um, but yeah, so, you know, you just give them a big boat, you make it a one time job, you give and them then. The Titanic. Exactly. Not maybe with the ending the Titanic had. Maybe, you know, just another big boat that doesn't have any historical um, tragedy associated with it. An independent, successful seafaring vessel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my thoughts on this part. So I was just kind of like, these guys are like wasting all of their energy and they don't realize that the solution is just, you know, the classic Lonely Island, I'm on a boat. Hmm. It had never occurred to me that this could be another thing that they could have done. I think that what I didn't appreciate is that there needed to even be a discussion about whether or not it was a good idea to go save the humans. Isn't that yeah, the whole waste of energy? Isn't that the whole point of the war that they're fighting is to protect the humans? And when Feyre says that okay, the high lords should go and they should save the humans and they should bring them to their own courts, everyone except for Tarquin is like, no, no, I don't think we should do that. I don't, I don't want to have humans in my court. Where is this coming from? Like, you've all banded together to fight against Highburn and fight against this inequality. Yeah, but well, it was mostly to fight for their own freedom, to be fair. Is it? 
Yeah, they obviously care more about their freedom than equality, even though they fought for it last time. But like, it's about also maintaining their own power against an enemy. Mm. Yeah, I think Jesse's right. Like, they're they're fighting for their own sake. They're most of them are not fighting, or they're fighting for the sake of the Fae. They know they're all going down. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I do think that they just see it. Most of them see it as a waste of energy or waste of resources, mm-hmm. which. Again, if you're being heartless, tactically makes sense that if you don't waste your energy trying to save people, then you have more energy to fight with. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, but it's kind of like sacrificing whoever can't get out of the way for everybody else. Yeah, I suppose it raises that philosophical question, right? Of like, what am I trying to say? The train on the track thing, yeah. Yeah, that or like, you know, the good of the few over the good of the many or whatever. I think we've gone too yeah. far. We're going into philosophy. Let's okay. veer back. Let's veer back to the fantasy. <laughs> in any way, so they do actually in the end do this. And Feyre thinks that, well, it's still not enough. We need the bone carver really on our side because he is all powerful. He is a death god. So she goes back to... Hewn City, the Court of Nightmares. And what does she do there, Maria? Um, Something very scary. She looks in a mirror. God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she climbs for ages and then she looks in a mirror. And then she sees um this like scary beast behind her. And it's creeping up on her. And lo and behold, it's actually a metaphor for who Farah is. And... She manages to see into her own soul without being driven to madness and accepts who she is. And this is incredibly rare. And this allows her to take the mirror as per Kira's uh, earlier arrangements. So, yeah, that's that's great of her. She can look at her reflection and not lose her mental faculties. Well done to her. Yeah. I thought, okay, I enjoyed this chapter, but I also thought it was a bit cringe. The overall message, as kind of Maria described. Mm-hmm. I also could not, for the life of me, imagine what it was that she was seeing. There were too many aspects going on at once that just I couldn't put together in my mind. Like claws and teeth and fur scales and scales and fur. And all yeah. sorts of things. I wasn't able to visualize it at all. So I kind of just mentally glossed over it in the end. It was, should have been extremely exciting, but it, it just wasn't because I couldn't... Mm-hmm. I couldn't mentally picture what was going on. Yeah, I'm inclined to I, agree with you. I think it kind of fell short for me as a whole concept. I genuinely found it really naive and unbelievable that in the thousands of years of the existence of this mirror, Farah is the first person in history to be able to look deep into herself and accept who she is. Really? Nope, nobody mm-hmm. else. Just her. She's really good at looking at pictures, though. Um, she is an artist, so... She's special. Mm. I do think the, the page that we mentioned last time, the artworks by Roki, she drew what it's supposed to look like. I don't know if you guys have seen that part. Did she? I'll share with you guys. However, the listeners will have to seek out that information by themselves. But, okay, can you see it? Uh, yeah. So, like, it's depicted kind of looking like a wolf that has a big horn 
coming out of its head. It just um, looks weird when you've seen Jurassic Park. It's like, right, that's... When you've seen Jurassic Park? I've seen really great, like, dinosaurs, and this is like some weird dinosaur wolf thing. It's... I'm not really... It just looks like a wolf! Like, well, I mean, obviously this is just one person's rendering of it, but... Mm. Yeah, that's the one that kind of matches, I guess, because it has teeth and fur. I don't see any scales, but I'm sure they're there. Yeah, it says in, in the description in the book, it says it has scales. But yeah, I mean, we I suppose the wolf has been present as a part of Feyre's life since the very beginning. I mean, that's how her the whole story began, isn't it? Like she killed a wolf exactly. that was a fae. And she likes her wolf, water wolf tiggies. Yes, but... It just doesn't really work for me as a metaphor, you know? I don't see how seeing some kind of a monster is supposed to represent all the negative negativity of herself. It's just a bit too... I think we're looking too much into the psychology. You keep shutting me down, Jess. I'm sorry, what's but what's I, happening I here? just think it wasn't well, written to be analyzed. If I was seeing like the worst parts of myself reflected in a mirror... I would probably just see like a big pile of takeaways. So I get what you mean. Like it's probably not like, yeah, a monster. Really? Like what has she actually done to warrant such a like, it's it's a bit dramatic. Like, mm. you know, she's only gone and tried to save everyone she possibly can. Other than those two people that she murdered, you know, she's not really done, which is an interesting sentence. She's not really done much, you know, to, to warrant such a like a strong negative creature being representative of her mm. yeah. so yeah it's a bit of an exaggeration like i just feel personally it would have worked better for me if it was maybe like a highlight reel of all the negative things that she's done in her life to make her you know look at it from like an outsider's perspective How, why was this not a good thing that i did instead of like this yeah creature if she had to like experience the pain that came from her actions or something, you know, that like, you know, even if it was unintentional or all the future possibilities of everything that could go wrong because of her actions. I don't know, something yeah. that had more merit than just being like, you are so bad that this horrific creature represents you, even though you've done nothing but try to be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good. I'm glad that somebody here agrees with me, Jess. I mean, I agree, I, do. I agree, but I'm just not quite so impassioned. I, I made a med mental note of it, but I moved on swiftly. Okay, fine. And what did you move swiftly on to? What's the next thing that happens then? Okay, Highburn is marching through the human lands. There's another mention of Fair's human estate. At this point, I'm like, enough of Fair's human estate. She didn't even live there. She was there for like a week. Mm. Okay, she has too much passion. Nobody lives there. None of her family are there anymore. It's just a building. Anyway. Next. Ah, yes, the big thing. The, the big thing, part. Jess. Go on. Before the war, just before they're about to start, everyone's like, ah, and they're like, what are we going to do with Elaine? Because she's absolutely useless, right? So <laughs> Azrael is... <laughs> Azrael is like, okay. Well, actually, first Cassian gives, gives Nesta some knives, one knife, one or some knives, I don't know, maybe a bit of armor or something, and he's. I think he gives her a bit of a pep talk. But then Elaine is still being Elaine, so Azrael is like, here, take my trusted knife, truth teller. It will only it will never do you wrong or something like that. 
And then he gives her this knife and she takes it and everyone's like mentally freaking out. Like he lets, not only has he never let someone touch the knife, but he just gave Elaine this precious knife. So also this knife is just interesting. You know, it seems to, seems to have some mythology, which is interesting and some special powers perhaps. But yes, he gives Elaine the blade, which is just a massive sign of trust. And I'm like, <laughs> for those who can't hear or see that, Jess is just rubbing her hands together very excitedly for for the Azriel Elaine potential. Two gentle souls. Two gentle souls. My God. Maria be shaking her head. Yeah, they can make a band if they want to call two gentle souls. Exactly. But they're not they're just friends. It's okay, it's okay. Then Reese gives a bit of a motivational speech to everyone. About what, the importance you, of family and yeah, everyone. It was so cringe, but it really got me, you know. Oh, man. I was reading this on the plane yesterday, and Reese just started talking about my brother Cassian and Azriel, who taught me this. And they and all think they're going to die, and it's really Everyone crazy. thinks they're going to die, and they're all holding hands in a circle. And I'm just like, oh, my God, these people, they love each other. Don't die. Yeah. <laughs> it got to me. Did it get, did it get to you, Maria, at all? Or No. Yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah, a bit. There, there's still words, so you know, it would get to me as I was reading it. I was like, if if their worst fears manifest, that will get to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, it, it it's it's nice, like cool. So then we get some big revelations because we find out that Feyre has managed to get the Bone Carver and Bryaxis on their side, and they are now. At the beginning, like at the front lines of the army, Reese is like, well, I see your two creatures and I raise you another creature because he made a bargain with the weaver. And so now the weaver is also on their side. And so you have these three huge mythical beasts who are about to be unleashed upon Highburn and we're building them up and it's going to be epic. And then they're just the biggest disappointment for me. Like, what even happens i thought okay i thought the bone carver's power sounded so cool he was like just waving this bone and people were falling before him but he died so fast so fast so easily he was happy to die and i was like bro okay then (sighs) bryaxis bryaxis i don't know he okay he was impressive obviously one monster can only take on so many soldiers okay Mm -hmm. striga i really liked i loved her final Kind of her final stand. She didn't give up a moment of pride. She was like, Yumi Bao, even though she knew she was about to die. But I also okay. loved it. it was so creepy that she could smell the cauldron somehow. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really understand how she was killing people. That was entirely unclear to me. And it was a point of regular confusion, in fact. Mm-hmm. I was just so annoyed with how easily she died. That was such. Scotch. Yeah, but what if she also wanted to die? The bone carver kind of just gave up because he wanted to go somewhere else. What if she also, after seeing him, was like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the home world. Like, she basically, she gets, like, you, you think she gets surprised, but I don't think she was surprised. I think she was she was a sacrifice. Ah. I just don't think that fits with her character the same way it does with him. You know, like, he... He does hint at, yeah, like wanting to die and stuff, but surely she had more of an ability to, to like manufacture her own death in some other way than he did. He was locked in a prison. So I think if that was, if she wanted to, uh, 
I think she just, I think like we just had one of those moments where like everyone under delivered and the king of Highburn over delivered and the it king doesn't track at all. Delivered. I would completely agree. Hmm. But it's not even the king himself who over delivered, the cauldron over delivered. The cauldron because was it's... sick. What are you saying? Sorry? You didn't think the cauldron activity was just sick? As oh, yeah, yeah. Destroying yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what I mean, as an it over delivered. It's you not over delivered. Well, in the sense of. The King of Hybron himself doesn't actually do anything apart from... He's just like the, st- the captain steering the ship, which is... Yeah, exactly. Like the cauldron, yeah. But like, it's the cauldron that's doing everything. Yeah. And yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm not saying it is, it was epic what it did. And I, I, I can understand that maybe that's what Sarah J. Mass was getting at when she killed off the carver using the cauldron. You know, it's supposed to represent just how powerful it is. Like it wipes out the Illyrians. It wipes out the bone carver. I'm just really upset that it was just done so quickly and we don't really get it was, a full it sense was, of the bone carver actually being I of any that. help he was, he was in the grand scheme of things. Abruptly removed. Yes. And it just felt like she, she had built them up so high that she then immediately needed to get rid of them so that we would then think that they're not going to win the war. And that's why we then need to bring the other, ooh, where have these people come from? We've been talking about them the whole book, but suddenly they're here and they've managed to come together at exactly the right moment. And of course, we're talking about Miriam and Dracon and Nesta and Elaine and Feyre's father. But I agree with Maria, like the way that the weaver was killed was so disappointing to me as well. I kind of read it as she was just so full of herself and so I did prideful that she didn't even consider him a threat, which I find to be so short-sighted and so stupid of her that she would just stand there and let the King of Highburn walk right up to her, grab her by the head, and break her neck, and that's it. You know what? I thought that on previous readings, but I actually now think that maybe, as I was saying before, I think she was ready to die. And so she approached him with a lot of dignity and was like, you made vows as they did in the past. You're like, you're nothing to me. This is, you know, you're a fly. I thought it was defiance. Okay. Like she had done her job, she found the cauldron, and now she was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But you aren't, aren't getting any respect from me. Maybe. Um, in terms of how was she killing all the soldiers, I kind of read it as she was almost like sucking the life force out of them. Yeah, I imagine a bit of vacuum... Yeah, like, have you seen the Mummy movies no. from the 90s? Well, never mind then, that, that, <laughs> that comparison's not going to work. Maria has. Maria, have you seen the Mummy from the 90s, the movies? Is that the one with Brendan Fraser? Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, I have. Yeah, and like, at the beginning, it's like a mummy. It literally is just a mummy. And it sucks the life force out <laughs> of people. That sounds horrible. And then it becomes the human that it was before that it was mummified. horrible. Yeah, like it is. I suggest yeah. you watch the movie. No, it's great. No, it's that. so great. It's, it's more that. funny than anything else. It's a really good one. I'm not watching it. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, I like that she did all of that with the tiara as well. <laughs> it made me really happy. What do you mean? Ante's tiara that she was like wearing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She was such a bad actress, but I loved that she started intoning the prayer. She was like, they were, they were secretly trying to get Elaine out of like the wards. She, she was talking what? about the weaver. Because the weaver had, I ah, think, actually, Sorry. actual thing. 
No, I yeah, love that. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Here's my trophy. Like she actually kept like a little memento of, of that. Like it's so entertaining. Hmm. Have you guys seen Bird Box? The yeah. movie. So that's kind of how I pictured Bryaxis killing everyone. Like he's showing everyone their worst fears and they basically kill themselves. I wasn't that... thinking too deep when oh. I was glossing over that because I didn't understand. Mm. And there was also a lot of fleeing. Everyone kept fleeing. But well, where were they running to? Would because... you not be fleeing in a moment such as that? No, sure. But then nobody was actually running away because they were still fighting everyone. I just felt like everyone... They were, they were trying anyway. to flee in the treat. Anyway, it's all very dramatic and a lot of stuff is happening at the same time. verbs are used. Yes, a lot of adjectives. Uh. So then what happens? So I've already mentioned the the cavalry that arrives. Maria, do you want to tell us more about how that all works out? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the cavalry arrives and they're like, oh, no, Hybern has like a fleet coming in. This is it. We're truly done. Our key players have been like seriously knocked and the cauldron has been you know messing everything up and then no look further on the horizon here come our saviors and it's like miriam and Drakon, and they arrive and they're like no we actually just joined a fleet this guy was like uh sailing in to like help um and like he's on he's like three boats and they're named after his kids and he's on the nesta and yeah um so that was probably for me the most unrealistic thing that has happened in any of these fantasy books that this man like I would quicker believe in the existence of Faye and whatever that thing Faye saw in the mirror was than that this man who literally didn't get up off his ass and let his daughters almost starve for like a decade suddenly managed to rouse an entire army to save them like that is just so so unrealistic but and then he was still calling himself the prince of merchants is cringe after yep. his look okay but your thoughts i don't want to influence uh, what you could think with my uh skepticism i thought it was completely ridiculous but i loved it i have to say i was like i was so pleased i was like oh this is a great ridiculous thing to happen now <laughs> It's really silly, like it's, as you say, totally fantastical, but I really liked it actually. Mm. Me too. Yeah, I I agree with Maria. I don't believe it. I, I don't buy it that this could actually happen. But at the same time, every time I read it and he's on the Nesta, I'm like, oh my God, he loved her all along. Of course, it's just so wonderful. Like that was the second time I cried on the plane. When, when he comes in and he's on the Nesta okay. and like, and Nesta is there as well and she's seeing all this and it's, oh, I loved it. Yeah. I don't buy it, but I love, you know, I love the message. I really like it that he, he also kind of like Tamlin gets his own little redemption arc because we were, I think everyone is really critical of, of the oh, father. I care even less about his Of course. Arc. I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure that anyone really was asking for a redemption arc for him, but you know, it's nice that it's there. It's nice that he was included. Yeah. I do like the message as well that like money makes it much easier to do the right thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a hot take, and I all guns are blazing this episode, ladies. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, you know, I love it. Now he's rich. Oh, would you look at that? He's also the hero. Yeah, it's, it's I nice. completely love it. Mm. 
Well, yeah. okay, can we go back to a part? We kind of skipped something big. Of course, yeah. So everything's going really badly, mm-hmm. even with yeah, even with the reinforcements, it's not looking good. Mm-hmm. There is a distraction needed to get the king away from the cauldron because otherwise you're going to be annihilated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so Nesta volunteers because she has this connection and she has like such a spooky, powerful ability to hear and call the cauldron. And then she makes the big moment and Cassian is there and it's the two of them agree to basically go off and die so that Fair can get to the cauldron. Mm-hmm. It's big. It's big. Yeah, yeah. And that we see this because Fair has already made it to the cauldron. No, well, we see what happens because their sacrifice works. Almost. Almost. Yeah. It's a, lot, it's a big thing that their agreement to do this immediately and then what Fair sees in the cauldron as it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because basically, as we said, the original plan was that Amran, Elaine, Nesta and Feyre all need to get to the cauldron so that they can nullify its powers. Then things are going really badly and... For whatever reason, Amran is like, well, actually, we don't need Elaine and Nesta. Probably Feyre and I can do this, just the two of us. So Nesta, as you say, decides to sacrifice herself to cause the distraction. She's already saved Cassian's life because she could feel when the king was going to use the cauldron to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. And in that fell swoop, he was going to kill all the Illyrians and he got rid of the bone carver. And Nesta's there screaming Cassian's name. And I'm just like, oh. God, I can't wait for their book. And... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, speaking of Nesta, did you like that? Did you like that she, you know, just screamed out Cassian's name knowing that he would come around? I liked it. Yeah, I knew that there was going to be some serious stuff about to go down based off of that. It's a shame that she couldn't have communicated Duck and then maybe, you know... The rest of the fleet didn't have to be uh, incinerated. Yes, an but, argument yeah. could be made that perhaps she could have warned everyone and not just Cassian. That would have been less romantic. Yeah. Yeah, it's really romantic that like she let everybody else be slaughtered so that only he could live. From that you know? lens, perhaps you're right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that being serious. But yeah, she was so desperate to save him that her reasoning was damaged and she couldn't think about all the other yeah but yeah it was pretty cool that like she knew exactly what was about to happen enough to know that she needed to save him but yeah the like volunteering to like be the distraction was probably we were talking about Tamlin's earlier but that was definitely Nessa's redemption you know she had the redemption arc Mm. yeah but then I don't know about you guys but I was a little bit let down about how that redemption arc went for her i liked it i liked the the beginning the middle but then the kind of the summary part of it i was a bit let down you know like in she's going into the cauldron at the end of the second book she's pointing and she's made a death promise and everyone's afraid of her power and she may potentially be a fresh death god and all this other stuff and then she kind of knocks him over Oh, That's I was it. thinking it was like she was having Superman level powers of like boom, and then yeah, she was like radiating him like tens of hundreds of meters into the distance. She was felling trees. She was like she decimated a part of the army with like light that exploded out of her hand or something. She was doing terrifyingly powerful stuff. 
Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, but, does. yeah. Yeah, but the king was still gonna like kill her and Cassian. So Yeah, but she was wielding the cauldron of the power as herself. Like that's a big threat. Like she could take down the king if if she got the right you know she played it well. No? Okay, yeah, but they were still about to die. So, you know, that that for me was a bit of a letdown, you know, like she had made a death promise to him and she was about to be killed by him. Perhaps in future we will have opportunity to discuss her deliberate decision to not develop her powers in a future book, perhaps. I like that Jess is looking at me as if I have any idea what she's talking about, but I've evidently blanked Oh, thank God, I had no clue what she meant. The Court of Silver Flames. Yeah, she's no, I like, know. Oh, if only I had trained, I could have protected everyone, you know. I totally but I Evidently, I don't remember Maybe that I just picked book. that up. Maybe I just picked that up from the vibe. You just invented this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I did like this part. I obviously, you know, I, it's going to come as, as a surprise to no one. I, I really liked Cassian and Nesta's moment where they both thought they were going to die. And Cassian's telling her to run and she's like, no, I'm going to stay here with you. And he's all like, if there's one thing I regret, it's not I didn't have more time. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he was pretty Cassian, bad at you're so amazing. Sorry? He was pretty bad at showing it up until this point. So it can't really be that enjoyable, <sighs> I think. Okay, fine. I see what you're saying. But, you know, still in the moment, it, I felt it in the moment. Yeah. However, I was a little bit let down by how, like... I didn't feel like Cassian was that injured to not be able to stand up. But maybe that's just me having never broken a leg. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Mm. Because at the end of the second book, he, his, you know, his wings were shredded. We were talking about this with Jess earlier in the previous part of this book. He was literally gutted and was able to walk around, but a few knocks down by the king and he's just like, I can't even get up. Too. Yeah, but the king is the king for a reason. He's been alive for like a thousand years. He's probably studied martial arts. Cassian hasn't even heard of. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, he's but- the big bad for a reason. He has to be. There's a reason. Kind of only race can take him down. If if they had to go head to head. Maybe. Sorry. What were you gonna say, Maria? But I just. I mean, like, it's kind of on the like undelivered power thing again. Cassian is what the one of the strongest Illyrians that has ever been produced. Nesta is literally or Nesta is literally a fucking death god. Sorry, bleep out my little curse there. If you pair them up, I just feel like they should have made more of a progress. Mm-hmm. That is the yeah, that that is the thing. But then also like Farah like winnowed away from Lucian without training. So, you know, like you know, she's Farah, you know, she can face the beast character. inside of herself. So That's she can true. do anything. I guess just in the realm of when you expect so little from Elaine and you expect so much from Nessa, it's interesting to see that your expectations for both are are wrong with how that circumstance works out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, ultimately, Nesta has the killing blow. So she does, you know, make true of her death pointy finger thing from book two. Yeah. yeah. Maria, yeah. were you impressed with her savage violence, let's call it? Because she's pretty savage. <sighs> she is. She's pretty, like, it's she's intense. pretty scary. Like, it's pretty messed up. 
yeah I was really happy with that you aren't surprised you're like I no. could I could see her doing yeah. that like she's she's yeah. borderline crazy in this moment yeah no I think everyone should have adapted her way of fighting like it would have been a much easier war much less that so bloodthirsty and I actually really enjoyed it mm. I was like mm-hmm. okay the real nest has just got out and it's interesting it yeah. makes me intrigued yeah 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 exactly like set her on the loose it's a level of violence that we haven't really seen explicitly stated since Tamlin killed Amarantha at the end of book one. Because he, like, shoves a sword through her mouth. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then rips out her throat. And then there's, like, oh, yeah, there's kind of, like, a war happening, but it's all, you know, happening in the somewhere in the distance. And now you have Elaine driving the truth teller, through the king's throat. Yeah, also a lot of violence for Elaine. Like, I have trouble believing she mustered up the ability to do that. Yeah, And she was just conveniently there. Also, yeah, where did she come from? How did she get there? That's what I don't understand. Like, they they wander so far away from the battlefield that they end up near the camp and Elaine was out just for a walk. Like, how did she come upon them and sneak up on the king? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so I propose one more time. Elaine is a seer. She knew they would be there. That's very. That's very sure. True. But how does she physically get there? Because yeah. she can't winnow. She cannot fly. She's maybe Azrael. By her. my understanding, left. She was left by herself because Azrael went off to fight. Reese is now on the front lines. Cassian flew Nesta away. Feyre and Amran are by the cauldron. But if she was a seer and she knew where the danger was, she could get there without but entering how? too much by foot. A horse. They all can ride a horse. Yeah. And also, do we strictly know that she can't winnow? Do we strictly know that? Because she's powerful, even though she's a gardener. Strictly no, but... But I find it really hard to believe that Elaine, of all people, would be able to winnow just like that, without even trying. I mean, yeah, I, I find it really hard to believe too, but then I also find it really hard to believe that she put a sword through his throat. But... Yeah, like I don't think it's it's unbelievable she would have gotten there on foot or by horse. Certainly not by She's bike, made. but probably foot or horse are the only options. Yeah, like she probably didn't come a Ferrari, but like she probably could get there. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> well, she clearly did. Yeah, no, no, of course, yes, she clearly did. I, I question how physically she did, but I she is there, yes. She communed with nature, she, she make it Maybe, so. maybe the garden, maybe the yeah. trees took her there somehow. Maybe the sword can winnow. Oh, are you making a statement? A statement? That maybe we're going to see something about this in future? No, I don't think she is. Are you? A declaration, perhaps, no? Are you? Well, it's it's an important... It's it's an important artifact. It's super important, yeah. My God, guys, I... I realize I think I've forgotten everything about A Court of Silver Flames. That's, apart how, from the that's one of the ways that they're linked. There's like the missing sword in Crescent City that... Whoa, 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 whoa. Spoiler. Spoiler alert for you Crescent City. Just cut it out, Lucia. Just cut it out. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sword that's the sister to runes. He has like the short sword. Yeah, no, he's, I, no, I, he's the long sword, but the dagger's been missing. And they both have mysterious shadowy properties. Yeah, like in theory, all this is ringing a bell, but like the details... I don't remember. Well, you'd have to reread the book again before next January with the, the new I, I, one. I so intend to. I intend to. You'll know what you'll you'll think about this then. And, and I will. And yeah. I'm like, oh, totally Jess, better. Jess knew she knew. Well, Maria too. And Maria, just just me. I didn't. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> so 
Nesta grabs the sword and mm-hmm. cuts off the king of Hybron's head and then grabs it by the hair and just stares at it. Like some sort and she of- seems to be a, like some sort of trance. Like it's clearly said like she's not, she's somehow not herself. Like she's, well, obviously. She's in shock, probably. Because mm, she's like, she drops the head in shock and she's like, oh. Damn, what did I just do? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. epic. Yeah. But I was I was really into the maniac vibe of just like cutting off the head and then just casually looking at it. That I was, was really happy for a bit of nasty power again. Yeah, but the cold, like the just cold heart killer of just holding the head, like that was I was like, that's pretty great. It was barbaric, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously we kind of glossed over Another sacrifice that happened just a few pages ago. Well, it wasn't really a sacrifice. The king of Hybron basically got their father and... Oh, but it's so boring. We don't even need to mention him. I guess that is heartless. That is heartless. A human being died. Yeah, as well as a million other types of things on the battlefield. You're not, you're not like justice for yeah. spider people, are you? Justice Speaking of people on the battlefield, how did you feel about Helion and his standoff against some random general from the Hybern army? I thought we were getting sneak peeks, but we didn't get enough information whatsoever. Did you pick up on this, Maria? I thought this was going to be like a big thing. Yeah, I guess it was, I guess we were just to assume that he would be as successful as Cassian had previously been and that it was just kind of like uh, the High Lords are all picking high level Mm-hmm. enemies to fight and yeah obviously I guess I just assumed like he's going to win because number one he's our friend and number two he's a high lord mm-hmm. but how does he win in the end like who's sorry Helion it's not actually Helion who kills um, because, the general um, because uh, Amran is it Amran it's Amran it's Amran yeah because what does Amran do Maria what's the sneaky yeah, sneaky Amran, that Amran does she's the Slippery fish, isn't she? Mm. She uh, hoodwinks everybody far more than anyone else did. So the cereal had given Farah, was it the cereal or the bone carver that had given Farah the message in the book? The cereal. I knew it was someone who died. <laughs> and this was for Amrin, for the thing that she was looking for, which I guess we thought was a, a spell for her to go home. But we actually find out that it was kind of an unbinding spell to return her to her previous form with the drawback that she would no longer be Amran. And this had actually been her intention rather than herself and Farah going to nullify the cauldron and to take away the king's armies using it and basically turn it around on him. The idea was that Amran was telling Farah, oh, we're going to go and like, we're going to use the cauldron to our own ends but in fact she was going to unleash herself on Highburn's armies and that's what she did and then she basically got rid of the rest of the armies again I was highly unimpressed with her just kind of killing a couple of thousand people and then fizzling out into nothing but also highly unimpressed with her lack of foresight for the impact that a considerable growth in size would have on the vessel that she was emerging from. But I don't know what you guys thought about that. Okay, where to start? Okay, I actually, on previous reads, was really kind of disappointed with this one. But this time I noticed there's a line specifically where Farron and Amorin are like, okay, we better go. Like, 
the weaver's there. We need to get there. Let's get moving. And Farrah kind of mentions how motivated Amran is. She's like hungrily ripping through the war. She's like, she can't wait to get there. She's ready. She's like, let's do this. Which is pretty, like, Amran never has emotion. She's like, let's just get this done. Like, it's pretty odd. Obviously, yeah, she jumped in the thing, which I kind of really liked in a sneaky, funny way. I thought it was cool. Then at the end, I was like, okay, another firebird. But yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Again, she kind of was like a firework and she just fizzled out into poof. Like, it, I don't know. That one was a bit like what? It was mm. a bit of a downer. I was a bit confused where Varian came from again. He was just He just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, he was just there at right place, right time. Again. How did he even know that Amran was going to sacrifice herself? Love. Are they a matey pair do we know or probably because everyone has a mate you know it's so rare that everyone has one so all the mvps but yeah and he can probably win oh because he's pretty powerful he seems to be in the in the club so probably maybe well yeah he's in the royal family of the summer court so mm. to be honest i think even having read it i don't know what three times by now I still find it a little bit confusing what yep. what actually happened there and did Amra know about this all along or did she just come up with it on the spot? How did, again, nobody figure this out? They're all just so good at lying to each other even though they're apparently, I don't know, <laughs> all knowing. Like, Reese didn't see this coming. Like, he didn't, he couldn't look into everyone's mind at some point to say goodbye and see that Amran was going to do this. I don't know. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed by her fizzling out at the end. But the thing that I'm disappointed by even more is still to come. So, you know, we've got Nesta was going to sacrifice herself. Cassian was going to sacrifice himself. Now Amran has sacrificed herself. You seemingly think that the Bone Carver and the Weaver were both willing to die. So they were all sacrificing themselves left, right and center. And then we have the ultimate sacrifice because as Maria just said, you know, if a thing outgrows the thing that it's in, the thing that it's in will explode. And that is what happens. The cauldron is now broken and the void within it, whatever that even means, is now growing. And it's, it's as if they've kind of, what, created like a black hole or something That's would be the equivalent. And it's going to suck yeah. the whole world into itself. Yeah, it's like uncreating reality, which... Also, yeah, raises some questions for the impacts that that would have on alternative realities. Amran originated from a different dimension before the world was whatever. And so is that is the cauldron the source of all existence in all realities and all dimensions? Is everything about to be wiped out or is it just their world? Maybe the astronomical. It raises a lot of questions and it answers none of them because I yeah, don't think we're like ever going to get an explanation. One, implication. one fragile cauldron is the, is the source of all existence. It's enormous, remember. It's fragile but enormous. But yeah, better hope that nobody ever drops it by accident Cumbersome. because then who knows what's going to happen. But that's it, yeah. Yeah, so now Reese is there and he's like, Farah, you need to fix the cauldron. Because you can yeah. do everything. You can do anything and everything. You haven't prepared for this, but you know, just believe in yourself and you'll get it done. But of course that's what he has to tell her. As opposed to saying what? What's he going to say? We can't do this, but let's give it a go anyway. What do you do? Let's die. Of course, he's <laughs> got to be like, come on. Farah, I mean, sorry, Farah. <laughs> Maria, you raised your hand there. <laughs> I'll answer to it. Also, right, you make an excellent point, Jesse. 
I always had a mental image at this point. And it's like, do you know at the start of the movie Ghost, when they're both doing the pottery down in the basement? <laughs> yes. That's the exact image I have for them fixing the cauldron together. Like when Farrah is just like, Oh, really? Fix. Yeah. And I, I always thought it was so stupid then because I could just hear the ghost music in the background. But yeah, he's, he's definitely going to try and help if he can. Yeah, no, of course he's going to try and help. I just, I just, again, I just don't understand how Farrah is supposed to know how to do this. Because she's the main character. We talked about this earlier. That's why she can winnow. That's why she can look in a mirror. That's why she can not stab Tamlin through the heart. She just wings it. Like, the girl just gets the job done, you know? Okay. Well, she gets the job done and ultimately drains Reese of all his power. And shock, horror, devastation. Reese is dead. Did any of us buy this? Oh, the first time I fell for it hard, I was like, dear God, I didn't... He's gone? What? Really? Yeah, I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, I was like, okay. Like, everybody else was having all these, like, near misses. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, like, we didn't lose all these kind of lesser characters. We're going to have to pay for that somehow. Yeah. So it would make sense. And then when she was going on about how sad she was about it, I was like, okay, this is a bit fishy because normally you'd just be like, oh, I accept it. Or, you know, like it happens and you move on. But it was in that instant, I thought she went absolutely feral. I don't know about you. I thought it was like, you know, in, you know, Harry Potter in the Triwizard Tournament when Cedric comes back, well, when Harry comes back with Cedric and the dad goes like, he loses it and you're super uncomfortable. That's how I felt reading that part where she goes crazy. Yeah, yeah, but like, I mean, the fact that we hovered on it, like, that we didn't just move on to like two weeks later. Yeah, but it hovered on it because they had to bring him back. It had to hover on it to draw out the suspense. That's what I mean. That's as soon as she was drawing out suspense, I knew he was coming back. Because you don't draw out suspense if someone's staying dead. Oh, okay. I also saw her a bit like, um, what's her face in Avatar, you know, when Jake, you know, when she has to defend, defend Jake. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Natiri. Natiri, yeah, when Jake is fighting the general and, and then he goes down because in the real world he got like jostled out of his dream machine thing. It's been 15 years since I saw Avatar. I have no idea what you're talking about. Lucy, you need to watch Avatar. It's such a good I've thing. seen it, but I just don't again. remember it, you know? But you don't remember it, so you have to Do watch you know it. what I mean, Maria? Yeah, I do. Yeah, she's literally got the knife and she's like, at anyone that comes near him. Yeah, I get that. So you fell for it. You thought I, he was dead. Yeah. And, I, and Maria, you thought he was dead. So the first time I read it, immediately I thought he was dead. And as soon as there was a big deal being made about it, I was like, oh, obviously he's uh, going to come back because she wouldn't be stirring up the pot like this if it was for nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you obviously didn't think he was going to die, Lucia. No, no. I, considering none of the other characters, like the, none of the other major characters had died, I did not for one second believe that Sarah J. Mass had the balls to kill off Reese and keep him dead. No way. No That's way. That's fair. It's really funny that you thought about it that way. <laughs> she didn't have the balls to do it. That's no. amazing. No. It's kind of true, though. That is what she, like, in the end, she, she, like, if she had let some of the minor characters die off, not even minor, but some of the less major characters, you know? If Nesta and Cassian had actually died, I would have been much more. But like, yeah, 
Because then I think, okay, so anyone is fair game. Like if she's, you know, if she were for killing off people, it's a war. Like people are going to die, obviously. Yeah. There will be casualties and it would make sense that, you know, even the main gang is not exempt from this. But yeah, if, if she had pulled a Fred Weasley, maybe, but she didn't like, so. Exactly. And especially, oh, you know, even if there was like a millisecond of like, oh my God, Reese is dead, but you know, we still have five chapters to go. You know, <laughs> she brought back Feyre already. So we know that it's possible to bring someone back from the dead. Oh, so I'm why would she not use it again? I wasn't thinking critically. I was just devouring it page by page. I mean, so was I, but kind of like Maria is saying, like, there's still so much of the book left. Yeah. We're dealing with it. Feyre's, you know, going crazy as you know rightfully so her mate is seemingly dead grief expresses itself in a lot of emotion but then all the high lords start coming and i'm like well of course they're all there of course they're gonna do what they did for Feyre. and the fact that they even tried to make an excuse of oh but it's not the same because you were a human and he's already a fey like what that is such a bullshit excuse i'm sorry yeah either way she was dead yeah exactly so Tamlin's big even bigger redeeming moment comes because Mm -hmm. despite everything he's like Feyre I just want you to be happy so here's my final drop of power and Shakar surprise Reese is back and not only is Reese back but Amran's back I'm yeah, I, that actually annoyed me. I was happy, but it annoyed me. Yeah, <laughs> so, so disappointed. So I was like, "Look, everything has been so ridiculous up to this point. Why not? Let's go with it. It's, it's so ridiculous. I can't. Like, I can accept that she brought back Reese because, like I said, I never expected her to have the balls to get rid of him. But Amran, it just—it's meaningless now. Like, what are these sacrifices? Mean nothing. Because, oh, I just hung around for a few more seconds just in case somebody would grab my hand in the afterlife and bring me it's back into a fake body. How special their bond is. <sighs> no, it's, it's a bit much. And as well, it's like, why would she come back out of the cauldron? Well, where else was she going to come back out of, though? That's the only other thing I could say. But why? Like, she wasn't in there. So how is she coming out yeah, of there? She like, wasn't going to hatch out of the ground like an egg either. So I don't know. You say that like that's implausible. But like... Why was she in the cauldron? She went into the sea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also... Yeah, but she shed her mortal flesh in the cauldron. And she okay. put her, her, her fair flesh, let's call it, into the cauldron. That's where it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So the cauldron did a silence of the lambs, stitching her back together. And <laughs> pulling her back out, reanimated. Well, yeah. Your reasoning makes sense when you put it in that way, but... That's all I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, if her transition destroyed the cauldron, then it's definitely just like she's wearing a flesh suit walking around as Amran. And also, like, why was she suddenly the most powerful being, even more powerful than Braxis, the Bone Carver, and the Weaver combined? Okay. What is it? What even is her power? Okay, look, you can delete this, but I can't remember it right now. But when I reread Crescent City, I have a great theory about Amran's power being related to something to do with the Asteri. Yes. But I cannot remember it because I can't remember what the special thing about the Asteri was in her. Yeah. Is this not what we're told? Do we not know this? We don't. I don't think we're explicitly told. It's never said like that okay. Amran was one. 
this is free to be deleted as well, but don't we have an inkling that Fury, Axter, whatever is something like Amran too? You know, I've seen this somewhere. I don't think it's, again, explicitly stated, but yes, like if you pay close attention to the descriptions of the two of them as characters and their physical attributes, they do seem very similar to each other. Now, what this actually means, because I don't even know, I can't remember what Fury is supposed to be, if she's some kind of special creature. She's like an assassin. Yeah, I know she's an assassin, but... But even the Asteri fear her, like, her name is known in the highest rank. Like, she's, and she seems to be nearly immortal compared to the rest of their immortality. She seems to have another level of it. Yeah, but she doesn't give Firebird vibes. She doesn't give or she does? Does not. But we don't know. Yeah, but one way or the other. it could be like the Amran thing. Amran doesn't give Firebird vibes until she is a Firebird. Yeah. You know, she just has other power in a different form. Anyway, yeah. so Amran yeah, is also back. Reese is back. Everyone's happy. Back for what, but for some reason, we can't bring back the father. That's, you know, that's too much effort. No, he did. Yeah, we don't want him around. He's so boring. Like, <laughs> he he did. And yeah. Well, why don't we just bring back everyone? Exactly. Like, yeah, no, why don't like, we bring back the Bone Carver? He was cool. Why can't we bring back the cereal? He was cool. It was cool. What, what Guys, else? stop looking into these holes. We don't have answers for them. Okay, fine. We must continue. We are past the battle. Everyone who needs to survive has survived and come or come back from the dead. Feyre takes it upon herself to hold another meeting with all the other High Lords and representatives from the Human Lands and Vasa and Dracon and Miriam. And, you know, we need to rewrite the treaty and now everyone will be equal and we'll live in harmony forevermore. Mm-hmm. Dracon and Miriam were like, well, why didn't you guys come ask for help? Why did we have to hear about this on the grapevine? And I'm just like... It's so cringe and it's underwhelming so cringe. and boring. I'm it's, just like, couldn't we have just ended the book It's so Valaris having dinner? And it's it's all good. Like I thought it was so boring. It's so obvious that Sarah J. Mass just wrote herself into like a hole of why they couldn't find Drake on Miriam. Oh, we made our wards just too good. You know, not even our friends could find us. Like, what even mm. are we doing? Okay, so I think that's the end then. We have you know, everyone's back in Valeris. Nesta seems to be shell shocked. Elaine is all you know what we need? We need more gardens. And that's what I'm going to do now that we've won the war. I'm going to plant a garden. That's what we need. And Reese and Feyre make a brand new bargain. Because oh, this is so dumb. <laughs> Why is it dumb, Jess? Tell, tell, tell us, what, what do they agree? Oh, Because it's like, yeah, okay, I'll only die when you die. And he's like, yeah, fair. It's a bargain, like real cringe cartoon stuff. And then like... They get wrapped up on this ridiculous new tattoo and they both are like, yeah, this is great, isn't it? And clearly it's the dumbest idea possible. <laughs> For reasons to come, we can see why it's the dumbest idea possible. What if a Feyland equivalent car crash is to happen? You know? So dumb. Yeah. What? We're just going to like wipe out all of the ruling people? Uh, yeah. But also stupid, it implies stupid. that like every single promise or bargain becomes a binding promise like what if you're asking someone to buy you something in the shop and they're like please remember please remember what a bargain forget and the person's like don't worry i won't forget i promise and then all of a sudden no you've got a new bargain and if you forget you die like what what 
or you can never leave the shop or something. What? Yeah, it, it, the implications are silly. It's also a bit of a, a, a difficult to live with message as well, that like your life means lo- nothing without this other person's life. That's a bit like, you know, like everything that you are as an individual is reduced to nothing if you're not half of a whole. It's not really that romantic. It's more Romeo and Juliet murder-suicide kind of thing. Like Uncharacteristic as well. It's just ridiculous. Interesting. Interesting, ladies. I didn't... So, okay, full disclosure, the first time I read it, I did not even cop onto the fact that they made a new bargain here. Me, me either. I think I was just like, oh, we're, okay, we're almost oh. done. Okay, we're done. And I didn't even, like, I I know that they have, like, new tattoos, but it just didn't fully, I didn't fully grasp. Now it's super obvious. I think I kind of explain it to myself that it's the wording that's the most important thing. Like, you have this to say like a 500 year it's old a bargain. This is a 500-year-old person who would not make this mistake like they... Oh, no, no, I don't think he made a mistake. Like, they did this consciously. No, 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 I don't think he's dumb at all. Like, I think this was a conscious decision. No, they definitely did on purpose. Yeah, you're right. By the two of them to make a bargain about this. It wasn't just a, whoopsie, oh, oh, I guess we're tied for life now. No, no, he knew what he was doing. I thought it was like, okay. Yeah, no, they definitely did because it was in response to the fact that she had, for a short amount of time, contemplated living without him, so... Do you think that was really sneaky of him? No, they both did it. Like, as in, he was like, oh, I remember what it was like when you were dead and I didn't want to live. And she was like, oh, now I know the same. So let's just agree that neither of us are going to live if the other one's dead. Yeah, but by him saying it's a bargain, it became a bargain. He could have said it otherwise. Mm. I think they both knew what they were doing. Yeah, I think on some level, they both knew what they were doing. And I think what you were talking about, well, does every time you make a promise, is that a new bargain? I don't think that's the case. I think you have to explicitly state it's a bargain and then it becomes a bargain. Okay. It's not a, I promise I'll see you there and now that's a bargain <laughs> kind of thing. I think he probably initiated it to be a bargain because they both were agreeing to it as a bargain. You know, like the with under the mountain, like they agreed to it being a bargain and then he like manifested it into being. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The same yeah. with, yeah, when uh, Pharaoh made the bargain with Braxis, it yeah. had to be stated at the very end, it's a bargain. And that's when she got the tattoo. Every time they make this deal, one of the two has to say it's a bargain. That's, at least that's how I understand yeah. it. My wondering is, can it be gone back on? Because obviously, Riz made the bargain. She would have to come to the house for a week, every month. But then he was able to go back on that because she didn't. That's a really interesting so, Yeah, I just wonder if, you know... Yeah, it's not really explained. Is it like the unbreakable vow from Harry Potter? Mm -hmm. We just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of see it. I I see exactly what you're saying, Maria. And on some level, I agree with you, this whole murder-suicide Romeo and Juliet thing. I read it more maybe as a, not that I'm not worth anything anymore if I don't have my other half, but it's like, I can't imagine continuing on living without this person in my life is kind of how I read it, as the romantic, in quotation marks, gesture. Yeah. No, I get you, I get you. Although, again, like, if they are to have children, and one of them dies, they both die, and their children become orphans immediately. That's what I was thinking. So dumb. They're not really thinking that far ahead, I don't think. It's just a spur of the moment. What if they get a dog? (laughs) Are there even dogs in this world? I don't know. (laughs) 
what if they get a pet of some sort and yeah like you know it's literally like it's everything like the kid as well yeah it has major implications and i'm sure we will discuss them in the future oh i'm sure we will too yes but that is a wrap i think on this book unless there's anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up at this point i'm totally good I'm all G. Okay, so then before we completely finish off, I would like your star ratings, please, for A Court of Wings and Ruin. Maria, you start. I can't remember. Do we have to give it to whole numbers? No, you don't have to. Then it's 4.5. Intriguing. I I don't know, actually. I'm really torn between four and four and a half. The second book was probably a five. The first one was probably four and a half or even five. I'm like, is this one really as good as those? I don't know. Mm. I initially gave it four, but during this reading, and I think this is more, you know, the fault of the fact that we've been reading it for so long, a lot of this book drags for me. Like up until we get to this last section, the last quarter, there were parts where it was just a slog. And I was kind of hovering on a three, but... The last quarter brings it up a whole star because the action is just nonstop. There's twists coming from everywhere. Did I appreciate them all the time? No, I think we know we've been pretty critical and vocal about our criticisms about how naive certain aspects of the war are. Nonetheless, it's so enjoyable and it's so fast paced for, I think. But yeah, I think it's my least favorite of the first three books, though. Is that fair to say? It's out of these of this trilogy, yeah. But then in comparison to the rest of the book collection that I've read, mm-hmm. it's still pretty good. So that's that's the but yeah, four is fair. Cool. Okay. So this is the end of the original trilogy. The next book is the novella, A Court of Frost and Starlight. And we will be discussing that book as well before we move on to A Court of Silver Flames. So the next episode will be the entirety of the novella. And yeah, thank you for this heated discussion. It's been a blast. (laughs) And I'll talk to you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.